0: Okay, welcome. Good afternoon, Parshas Vayeshev. As we continue our journey, we've been learning for the last number of weeks the commentary of Rav Hirsch, Rav Shimson Rafal Hirsch, the great German leader, passed away in the late 1800s, and his uh, magnificent commentary on Chumash. So let's learn the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev uh, together with many of his comments. This is the Parsha, of course, in which we really get into the drama between Yosef and his brothers. Um, All of the brothers, the Binyamin was born at the end of last week's Parsha, the 12th of the 12 brothers. And this week's Parsha begins with, we'll read it inside in a moment, with Yosef. Uh, 17 years old, and already clearly not quite fitting in with his brothers like everybody else. He's sent off to Shechem, where his brothers were shepherding the flock. And there, of course, they see him approaching. They conspire first to kill him, eventually to throw him into a pit, and eventually to sell him down to Mitzrayim. And this really begins the journey of the Jewish people, eventually down uh, down to Mitzrayim. So let's take a look at... The, the psukim that described this event. What I want to highlight in Refersh's comments, even before we begin to see them inside, is this is, um, like many stories in Brashas, but this one in particular, is a complicated story as we read it. And the reason why it's a complicated story is because it seems to express, um, what should we say, uh, shortcomings. Let's call it like that in this royal family of Yaakov Avinu together with his, with his children. We are going to see jealousy. We're going to see hatred. We're going to see brothers selling their own brother as a slave. And that's good news because they originally tried to kill him. We're going to see favoritism of Yaakov to his, brother Yosef, to his son Yosef more than the other brothers. All of these things are, are attributes or values, characteristics which we would very much say are are not the way that we would think to raise our families or not attributes to behave by, and yet we find them. But in his commentary, uh, as we've seen in a number of different places, takes a very bold and straightforward approach to the fact that we find the Torah describing these traits in ways that we would not necessarily think they should be expressed, and yet nonetheless they clearly present themselves and the Torah doesn't hide itself from telling us. So let's take a look at the Pesukim inside and we will highlight uh, how Refersha understands it. Let's start from the very beginning of Parshas Vayeshev. The Torah says as follows. Let me give it to you on your screens in front of you. Okay, you now have it. Vayeshev yaakov oviv Kenan. Yaakov settles down in the land of the journeys of his father, in the land of Kenan. Refers right away, just points out the contrast between the word va'yeshev, which means to settle to come to be at peace, uh, versus the land of Migurei, of Ivlagur is to dwell as a stranger, as a foreigner, where you have no peace, you don't belong. That Yaakov desired, Rashi points this out as well from the sages, Yaakov desired, finally, you know what, we've been past all the things of last week's Parsha, we were past the episode of the abduction of Dina, and the brothers uh, rescuing her, and his battles with Esav, his 20 years with Lavan, he finally, he's like back in the land, he's ready to settle down, it was the land of Migure Aviv, where Yitzhak was always a foreigner, he didn't belong, he didn't have a place, and now Yaakov was hoping to make it into his place, and the divine scheme had uh, not so fast, Yaakov, it's not quite time for you yet to relax, the Jewish people are not yet fully developed, and we still have this next major episode to address which the Torah addresses it as follows. Ela told us Yaakov. Here then is the offspring, the descendants of Yaakov, and we begin with Yosef ben Shevas, Reishonoha, Yoroya es Echov Batzon. Yosef, who is not the only child of Yaakov, obviously, Yosef, but he's going to be the centerpiece of this particular story, was 17 years old, and he was Roa es Echov Batzon. Let's read the whole passage. I'm going to have to take, break it down piece by piece. nar, And he was still like a lad with B'nei Bilha and B'nei Zilpa, with the sons of Bilha and Zilpa, who were aviv, who were the wives of his father. as the Basamra, El and Yosef, used to be, bring these evil reports about his brothers to his father. Much to talk about in this particular uh, Pasuk. Let's just break it down in the way that Refersh does into its component parts. Number one, Yosef is introduced as being Ben Shvas Shana. He was 17 years old. Now, this is not the first time we've seen a person introduced with their age, but Refersh just points out in like a one-liner, in the midst of his commentary, a very fascinating thing. We describe a person as being Ben-Shvas. He was the son, he was 17 years old. It literally means he was the Ben, the son of 17 years old. So he comments that we are all actually, if you want to know, like, who are your parents? What formed you? What shaped you? Your experiences? We are all actually children of the years that we've already lived through. Meaning, the years of life that we've experienced to a great degree, whether we're conscious of it or not, he says, our. They are our mothers and our educators, the years of experience, the life experience. So you say, who are you the son of? I'm Ben Sheva I'm the son of the 17 years that I've already lived. That's what, so to speak, given birth to who I am. My birth parents gave birth to me physically, and then the years that I've lived have formed me and shaped me. Now it's of course of note, as all the commentators point out, that Yosef is young, he's 17. And then the Torah describes two different ways that he re- interacted with his brothers, as Refersh points out. He shepherded with his brothers the flock, and here they're defined as Echov, his brothers. But here, Refersh points out, that's the only time they're referred to as his brothers when he was working in the fields. So Rafferche sees in this line, and again, just one word of background, uh, he comments, he writes specifically, as we read a story about a brother desiring to sell another brother, desiring to kill another brother, we have to look for cues, hints in the text of the story to understand what was the background, what's going on in this particular story. So he sees here the first half of the puzzle, he's described as roa es echov batzon, he shepherded with his brothers, meaning when he was a shepherd, he was with his brothers. At work... We were all at one. We were all together. We were all unified. Um, but at home, it was not Echav. It was not a relationship of Yosef together with his brothers. He just didn't connect with them. And he sees Rav in the phrase of Roya es Echav Batson. Out in the fields, there they were able to get along. Vuhunaar, but where was his youth? as B'nai Bilhav, yes, B'nai Zilpah, Nesheaviv. With the four brothers that he had, the six from Leah, he only seemed to get along with them like at work, in a work type of relationship. But with the other four, who were the children of the maidservants of Bilhah and B'nai Zilpah, there he was a nar, there he was at ease, he was a child, he was a youth growing up, and they, these four sons, are not defined in the Torah by, as his brothers. They're defined as Neshei Aviv, the children of the wives of his father. So you have his real brothers from Leah, never really had a relationship with him. The, the brothers from the two main servants, Bilhan and Zilpah, they're not even defined as his brothers. They're the, wives, they're the children of the wives of his father. Rav says, what you see in here is the description of a child being brought up without a mother and without a brother. It's a motherless and a brotherless existence. Surrounded in a home with lots of people, but he's alone. He doesn't share the brotherhood with his brothers, and he doesn't share a mother. His mother died in last week's partial in childbirth with his, with his younger brother, Binyamin. So his younger brother is too young to be a companion for him. He doesn't have a mother, and he never connected with his brothers. Rav points out, that the fact that he's connected more with the mother with the brothers from the maid servants and we see this often as uh, again the dynamic amongst the 12 sons between Leah and Rachel's children and Bila and Zilpah's children he suggests that it could be Yosef preferred to be with those four of the brothers. Yosef, who has whether or not he has actual aspirations, but he has the qualities of what's going to become a leader, seeing these brothers, it could be, he says possibly they submitted a little bit to him. Perhaps they flattered him a little bit somewhat, and he enjoyed hanging out with them because it gave him a position that he could, did not enjoy with the brothers of, with the brothers of Leah. He brings us the oil ro'ayal He brings this evil report. Rashi and uh, the, many of the commentators have much to say about what specifically he brought. But let's, let's leave us We have much to, much to cover. So that particular detail we will uh, continue on from. V'yisrael posa yosef mikol banav, and Yaakov here called Yisrael loved his brother Yosef from all the other sons. Kivens kunim hulo. He was a son of his old age. Um, and he makes for him this special coat, this coat which was marking the importance of the personality of the wearer, and it was a distinction. He clearly was picked out for some type of special calling. He refers rights, and we're going to get back to this idea in, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it now actually. He says, this was not judicious nor wise. He, he, he calls it as it is. Chazal already do so. I don't want to say that, like, Refersh is the first one to say that. The Gemara says a person should never show favoritism to one son over another because of a $2 coat. The, the sages have a, whatever, a couple dollars they spent on a coat causes this entire episode and the Jews end up down in Mitzrayim, all the problems that have, all because of a code. So the Gemara already says this. So Rav says, this was not a judicious, not a wise decision that he should have listened, A, to the tattling of his son Yosef against the other brothers, certainly not to show favoritism to one child more than the others. And the Torah stresses the pernicious results that are shown in this story. On this comment, he has another comment that the differences between the sons of Leah and the sons of Rachel, and the son. He says it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that there's a dynamic of a hierarchy within a family. It should be, it should be that the submission of life to Hashem's aims that He sets for us, that should combine us all into working together and level out all differences. That's the ideal. Did not happen that way. It did not happen that the brothers were all on the same, on the same level. And Rav comments, a nation who you see has these issues in it uh, from its start. All the issues we're going to see, the jealousy, the hatred, the favoritism, we're going to see traits that are not necessarily the most ideal. And we are the most uh, stiff-necked, stubborn people. We are not the most pliant to people, he writes. We have natural tendencies of no came v'noter to take revenge, to tell to be filled with kinna and sinna and jealousy and hatred, and if a nation that can be so elevated um, by the Torah that's going to be given to us, that things like shvichas and murder, and giliurayos and illicit relationships are going to be removed from us, that we will become the most humane of all nations, we will become the most neighbor-loving nation, if all of that... That you can take a people like us and throw them into 2,000 years of exile and they can maintain their unity as best we can. And of course, as much as we like to point out how how much of a lack of unity in the scheme of things, when the world looks at us, we are still, and we have in truth, maintained ourselves. And within families, all of that, when you see what the Torah is highlighting in the stories that we begin here, is actually in his language, a triumph of the Torah. It's not the pshat, he says, that we were born a perfect family. It's not the case that we were born a family that never knew from jealousy or hatred or favoritism. It's not true. The Torah is actually purposely highlighting, look at the stories of your beginnings. Look at, we're going to read in a moment, how the brothers hated Yosef, how they were jealous of him. Look at how Yaakov showed a favoritism to him. Look at what we became. Look at how we've led the light, the world, in bringing morals and ethics and values to the world, that is a triumph of the Torah that we were given that shaped us, that formed us, that took all of the natural tendencies that we had, similar to so many other nations, and made us into a people that is indeed different from all other nations. And the Torah did not come from us, the Torah came to us in his language, and the Torah's first glorious victory is in its conquest of us. And when you look at what we've become as a people, that is a testimony to the power of Torah in shaping a nation over centuries. Let's continue on. The brothers see, they see that Yosef is the love of their father's life. Now they're all, all six of the children of Leah are older. Yosef was the 11th of the 12 children of the 12 sons born. He's got his younger brother, Benjamin. They all know the story that Yaakov really loved Rachel more than everybody else. And this is the son that Rachel gave Yaakov, the son, Yosef. And now Yaakov is clearly showing a love of, of Yosef. So they hated him because of that. They could not speak peaceably. In a context of peace form, there's one beautiful line here in Refersh I have to share. What does it mean? They could not speak to him in peace, he says. They could not speak to him in a way that would lead to peace, meaning they could not bear his speaking for peace. Listen to how he's translating. They could not tolerate even Dabro if he would speak and all he wanted to do was make peace. Yosef sees something's up, they're not relating to me, there's something they don't like. Yosef again at 17 wasn't fully sensitive to his own behaviors and telling the dreams and the impacts that it would have, and he sees that they don't like him. He sees that they're jealous and they hate him. So he tries to speak peace, and they couldn't even bear his attempts at speak, when he wanted to speak peacefully to them. Listen to this, this, this comment, this one sentence from a the verse. They took nothing from him in a sp- friendly spirit. They turned everything he said in a bad way and most of all misunderstood any friendly advances. And this is such a great insight. Sometimes you have a situation where one person's trying to make peace. They're trying to be friendly. They're trying to uh, soothe over, smooth over whatever might have happened and the other party doesn't let them. They don't want to hear from it. They don't want the advances of peace. There's such a concept in which we we try to correct very often in dynamics in relationships. Things happen, life is complicated, we make mistakes. People say things that they shouldn't have said, they're offensive, people get hurt. And then one party wants to make peace. They want to remedy it. And the other party doesn't let them. They don't accept the attempts at peace. (inaudible) They couldn't tolerate his talking of peace. And that just furthers it um, more and more. And that sets us up. That sets us up for the next Pasuk, Pasuk. Hey, okay? Yosef begins to have his dreams. But this is all the background of the dynamic as the first season of Pesukim. Yosef <speaking> chalom, <in Hebrew> Yosef has a dream. He has a dream and he tells it to his brothers. od Sino, oso. And all that... that, that, that all that that does is increases the level of hatred that they have for him. Now, listen to this. We just read Pasuk K, which says that Yosef had a dream. And he told his brothers. And then the Torah then even tells us the reaction of the brothers. They hated him even more now that he told them the dream. But then get a look at Pasuk Vav, the next Pasuk. And he said to them, Listen up to this dream that I dreamed. And he's about to tell them what he saw. Very strange, says a verse. Hey said he had a dream, he told it to them, and they hated him. And then Pasakhav says, and he said to them, Listen to this dream that I had. I thought you just told him in hey. Why is Pasakhov saying again that he calls them and he says, Listen, says the first beautifully like this. He had his dream and he started telling it to them. And as soon as he started telling it to them, they wanted nothing of it. They stopped him. They said, We don't want to hear of your dreams. And that's Pasuket. He had a dream. He told them, but they didn't even let him finish. And they began to hate him even more. And then he persists. And he runs after them. And he says, no. Come, come, listen. You have to hear this dream that I have had. Now the Gemara talks great, at great length about how much value to place behind a dream. But clearly, Yosef, his father, Yaakov, and his dream with the latter, and, and a couple weeks ago's his parasha also, there's value that they certainly took the dreams to be very serious. Well, let's take a listen to the dream. The dream, there are two dreams that we're going to have. Here is the first in Pesach Zayn. Vihine. We're going to see, as Rav first points out, the word Vihine appears three times. It's going to break the dream down into three components. Vihine, he says to them, as he chases them down, and they don't want to hear it, and he sort of force-feeds them his dream. We were all binding sheaves in the field. That's what what was going on there. My binding, my sheaf that I had bound up, stood up and remained upright. And then, your sheaves gathered around mine. That's the dream that he says in its three components. Ezra first, breaking down the word vihine three times. Number one, the dream starts, nachnu ma'almim alumim b'to That We're gathering the sheaves as was done. And Raffer says what would normally happen is you would make, out of all of the crop that you had just harvested, you would make small bundles. And then you would take from all of the small bundles and you would gather them into one central place in the middle of the field. So that's what they were all doing. They were ma'almim alumim. Everyone had gathered small little bundles in their area. And then they'd begun to take them into the middle together. And then the second part is vihine, Kama'alu. My bundle wouldn't allow me to gather it up and move it. Somehow the bundle itself, which was related to me in my area, stands upright and can't be moved. It can't be brought into the middle. Now, the imagery that Refresh is creating with this is that Yosef's saying, I wanted to be just like the rest of you. I wanted to take mine and put them into the middle, and against my will, so to speak. I couldn't. My sheaf stood upright and refused. Why do I have to stand upright? You only stand upright if you're refusing something else that wants to be done. My, my sheaf stood upright and couldn't be moved. Strange thing, says Yosef. I'm trying to be like everybody else. And then the third vehine, and then all of your sheaves which are moving into the middle, then move away from the middle, come back to mine, encircle mine, and bow down to my sheaf. Can you imagine the brothers weren't excited to hear this? Can you imagine? As, as Yosef's describing, forget about everybody bringing it into the middle. Now Yosef is off to the side, upright, refusing to be moved. And all of the other brothers sheaves make him the middle. They all go around him and they all bow down. This, you can imagine, uh, did, not, uh, did not sit well, of course, with, uh, with the brothers at all. Not only that, besides the fact that he's presenting this picture of uh, I'm reigning over all of them against my own will, I I wanted to contribute, I I just couldn't. He says it's remarkable, first points out, it's remarkable that you should be dreaming about binding sheaves. What was the brother's profession? They were all shepherds. They, They weren't farmers. They were shepherds. They had flock and you're dreaming about this binding of the, of the sheaves to become an agricultural people, sort of Hirsch sees in that a, uh, a concept about the destiny of the future people, that when the land would eventually be given to the Jewish people, as they had been promised to Avram, to Yitzchak, and Yaakov, this land, but the idea of farming this land, it's not now. These are dreams about a distant future. Why are you dreaming about that? So they understood that if that's what his, his thoughts are, this agricultural thing, uh, process, then the brothers were justified in thinking that this could only be due to the teaching and information given to him by their father, Yaakov, and Yaakov's expectation. They read into this, this idea of a dream about being a farmer. That's, that's the distant future of the Jewish people. They know that their father has something for Yosef, and they saw that this was a manifestation of that, that Yaakov must have been telling him and instructing him about the role that he's going to play in that deep future. And now they say, HaMaloich Timloich Aleinu, the next Pesach. What's their response in Pesach Ches? Vayom Rulo the brothers say, HaMaloich Timloich Aleinu, are you going to rule over us as a king? You're gonna be you're gonna um, reign over us. They hated him even more for the dreams that that he had. Now, he ventures a second dream. Then he has another dream. So the Torah leaves it at that. He has his first dream, the brothers hate him. Poslik test. And again, he tells it to his brothers. He says, Behold, again, I had another dream. He says, In my dream, there was a sun, and there was a moon, and there were 11 stars that were bowing down to me. Now, we, the readers of this, already know the, the interpretation. But just for a moment, if you can clear your minds and listen to this dream. Y- Yosef says, it's no longer my sheaf. He's no longer referring to grain that's a representative of him. It's him himself. He's saying, I'm in my dream and the sun and the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to me. Now, we, of course, understand that it's the, the sun and the moon represents Yaakov and Rachel And the 11 stars represent the 11 brothers. That's not the only interpretation that's forced into, that that you have to force into such a, the dream can mean many other things. That that Yaakov and Rachel should be the sun and the moon, it could be. It it certainly is, we're going to see in a moment. But the brothers hear this dream. One could simply just say, again, remember in those days, the sun and the moon and the stars, we refer to in the Gemara, an idolater is referred as a, Oved kochavim, someone who worships the stars. That was the primary form of idolatry. So maybe this dream represented something of Yosef thinking of himself as a god in which all of the stars and the moon and the sun were going to bow down. There could be other interpretations of exactly what it meant that Yosef said all of these things was happening, they were bowing down to me. But the Torah doesn't give us a reaction yet from the brothers. It just says... Now we know that they hated him from the first dream, but now in verse nine, Pusik tests the Pesach says he had another dream, he told him about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him, and no reaction yet from the brothers. The next Pesach, he tells it to his father and to his brothers, and his father now berates him for telling him this dream. Vayom, Lo and says to him, What kind of dream is this? Havo, navo, are is our, myself and your mother, and your brothers, we're going to be bowing down to you, Yosef. What kind of narishkeit is this? Now, we're already familiar with this. But if you're the brothers, put yourself back as the first does for us. They hear this dream of the stars and the sun and the moon, and they think Yosef's lost his mind. He thinks he's going to become some type of deity, that he wants everything bowing down to him. And then what do they hear from their own father? How did their father interpret the dream? It was Yaakov who says, this is not about Yosef thinking he's some type of god. This is actually Yaakov interpreting the dream as Yaakov and Rachel as the star, as the sun and the moon and that the 11 stars represent the 11 brothers. Yaakov is the one who says, what, me and your mother and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And the brothers here, that's the interpretation. Our own father sees in the interpretation of this that Yosef's dreaming of becoming a king over us, not just that he's lost his mind and he's thinking he's a deity. Our father's the one who interprets it And that's where we then get to Vayikan Ubo Echav. The brothers become very jealous. Vayikan Ubo, we had already Sinah. They already were jealous because the Torah says they saw how much their father loved Yosef and they hated him. And now we get Vayikan Ubo Echav. They were jealous of him. The Aviv Shamar Sadavar. But their father was like keeping it in his mind, like waiting to see maybe indeed this will at one point come true. Now, what happens next? What happens next is a very critical possek. The brothers go, Um, here it is in front of you, I made it a little bit bigger. Well, the brothers had gone to pasture the father's flock in Shechem. A couple of very important points here to tie up the idea that Refershah is developing. If you only had the Hebrew in this Pasuk, you would see one simple idea. The brothers went to shepherd the flock in Shechem. One who is reading this as laning it from the Torah will notice under the second word of Echav, what's called an asnachta, which means it's a pause. So that you would read it as follows when we're going to lane it on Shabbos morning. stop, The brothers went, period. To, to, to bring the town, to bring the sheep to pasture in Shechem. Why is there a period in the middle of the sentence? It should have been one sentence. The brothers went to shepherd the flock. It's not how the Torah wants you to read it. It's the brothers went, period. They took the sheep to Shechem. So her first says, would you see in the Torah is trying to hide, the brothers needed to leave. They just needed to get out. They could not be around. Yosef is is talking narishkeit. He's talking about becoming a king. He's talking about their sheaves bowing down to him. He's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars, which Yaakov, their own father, said represents them (coughs) bowing down to him. They left. Where? They just needed to leave. They needed to get away from him. Where do they choose to go? They go to a place (coughs) called Shechem. Now Shechem as Refersh first point out, is about 80 kilometers away from Chevron, where they were living. That's a long journey to shepherd your flock. Why are they going specifically to Shechem? So he says it's not by chance that that's the place where they specifically choose to go. Shechem was very prominent in last week's parsha. That is where their sister Dina was abducted by the person Shechem. Shechem was also a person. He was the son of Hamor, who was the leader of the city of Shechem. The city was, had to share the same name as, his, as the prince of Shechem. And that's where Dina was abducted. And they tried to, last week's Parsha, convince the brothers and Yaakov that, he, that she should be married to Shechem. And the brothers made a deal. They said, we'll, we'll allow her to marry you if you become like us. And everybody has a brismila. And the entire city has to do so. And they agreed. The whole city has a brismila. And then Shimon and Levi. Um, Break into the city on the third day and basically decimate the city and rescue their sister Dina. Why is this the place where the brothers return to now shepherd their flock? They go back to the city of Shechem, this decimated city of Shechem. So, it first says because the city represents something. The city represents the place where the feeling of their all belonging together. Was brought so energetically to the family. A place in which Shimon and Levi spoke the words, Are we gonna allow our sister to be treated like a zona, like a harlot? The whole family will stand united together as one man in one if one single member is threatened from the outside, we will all band together and stick together to honor and the independence of the whole um, as it needs to be. And therefore they said. This represents and refers to understanding what the brothers saw as the threat of Yosef. They saw that we have a problem here. And when they're going to, just as before we get to their full interpretation, what we're gonna see when they go down to Mitzrayim in a couple weeks, Parashios will read, and they see that things are strange are going on with the goblet being stolen and their food and their money being returned. They can't figure out what's going on. And they say, and then Shimon is taken and put in jail. They say, you know why? This is happening to us, they say, because our brother cried out to us from the pit and we didn't have the heart. We were cruel to him. And Refersh points out, as others do as well, they never regretted selling him. They never regretted that. They they understood that there was the, they told the very end that it was the right decision to make. They regretted being cruel about it. They regretted to not hearing his cries of the brother. But the decision, they stood by always. How did they come to such a decision? So i they went to Shechem, which was the place where they had been unified, or the place where they acted together as one to protect the, the whole. And they said, our future, not just our future, the future of the Jewish people, the future indeed of the entire world, of Hirsch writes, is threatened by the presence of Yosef as they understood him. Because, they said, it was not so long ago that Nimrod introduced the idea of kingship to the world. He introduced the idea of one person ruling over. And when one person rules over as their cousins had been enslaved under the Alufim and the kings of Seir and Edom, Seir and Edom, which we read in last week's parsha. That is where, and what they saw everywhere around them, what they saw, what a king meant, the king meant taking the inhabitants and considering them as mere bricks for the building of the fame and ambition of the dynasty and lowering the status of all of the local individual people. That's what they saw a king does. He uses the people for his own purposes. He uses the individuals for whatever he needs. It's his own glory that's the only thing that matters. And the brothers said, we have a different mission in life. Yeah, that's the kingship that we see all around us. We have a different mission in life. We have a mission of unifying everybody under the reign of Hashem above. We are all equal under that purpose and under that goal. And Yosef dreaming about us bowing down to him, dreaming about his sheep being off, not in the center. He's off on the side and we all go and follow him. This is a destruction of the entire purpose, the Abrahamic vision, the goal that we've been given from Avram, from Yitzchak and from Yaakov. And he's threatening that, trying to make a dynasty like what we see all around us. And therefore, they went to Shem, which was the place of their unity, the place where one stands up for another, and said, this is a threat. This is a threat to the future of the Jewish people and a threat to the future of the world, if we will allow this, because we have a different mission to teach the world. Now, why it is in the divine scheme... That it came about in such a way that the brothers so misinterpreted what Yosef was trying to do. There is such a concept of a Jewish king, of course. When you read the Rambam, his description of what it means to be a Jewish king, it's the exact opposite of what the monarchies of the world always represent, which is this idea of a leader using his people. The Jewish king is the heart of the people. It's just the opposite in which he needs to represent the needs of all of the people. But... Uh, the first refer- actually writes the word nasi, like a prince, as the same w- word we find in Tanakh, nasi, it means clouds. It's a very strange thing that the word prince should have the same word as clouds. And he says this for a very simple reason, because what does a cloud do? A cloud gathers all the water and moisture from the earth, it gathers up as it evaporates in the cloud, and then comes back down to the earth in the form of rain. That's what a nasi, that's what a true leader does. He gathers all the resources of the people, not for his own purposes, but then to bestow it back down to the people from whom he got it. The power comes from the people and a Jewish nasi then rains it back down on his constituents. If he keeps it for himself, that's not a Jewish leader. So the brothers only saw one model of leadership at that point in time. The only type of kings that they had saw were vicious dictators who were abusing their people. And they saw in Yosef and his dreams that that was his ambition and aspiration. And they saw that as a threat to the Jewish people. Why again in the divine scheme should this whole event come about where they eventually didn't want to kill him and sell him and down to Mitzrayim which eventually leads the whole Jewish people down to Mitzrayim. Why was that the way we ended up in Mitzrayim? That's a much bigger discussion um, and a much more complicated discussion. But this is how it first sees how it played itself out. How was it that they misunderstood or saw in him the threat that they did and why they saw that and with this in mind, they indeed saw them as a, as a threat that needed to be gotten rid of and they do. First, they they're going to kill him and then there's this part, we, again, we don't have so much time left for today. They originally wanted to kill him and then Yehuda talks him out of it. Let's not kill him. Let's just... Um, throw him in the pit, let's not throw him in the pit, let's just sell him. And eventually he ends up down in Mitzrayim and the Jewish people, of course, will follow in a couple of weeks' time, as we'll read at the end of uh, Parsha's Vayigash. But that, uh, those are some of the thoughts on uh, this opening of our Parsha and the shalshalas the, the, hadlvarim, the, the structure of things that took place, the events, the chain of events that took place leading the Jewish people down to Mitzrayim and uh, some of the comments on the... Uh, and again, just to conclude with one last thought, As we first points out at several times, the traits and attributes of the brothers are not always the way that we would want them to be. And He says it's true. That's how it started. And this is to highlight to us, A, the problems that came out of it. You see the favoritism. You see what happened. You see what happened from the jealousy. We need to learn from that. And B, to see the power of the Torah that it had on this family, on us as a Jewish people, to create the people that it has indeed succeeded in creating. Okay, look forward to learning again as always. Uh, Next week, have an awesome day.